So the idea of um, the, the two countries at the time, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, um, that there's all kinds of parallels from that time until this one. Uh, politics were, um, were a top discussion of the day. In fact, if you look through a lot of commentaries and different things to find out what was going on in Isaiah's day, the majority of what they talk about is the idea of the kings back and forth, the Assyrian kings that would take over Israel and come in and try to take over this. And politics kind of rule the day. If you follow any kind of social media, you'd probably agree that these days, if people are going to have fights or discussions, going to end up being over kings and different how politics rule the day. Um, politics created priorities for the people. People claimed to be religious, but actually worshipped anything but Yahweh. King Ahaz came in and would actually have would institute things like infant sacrifices and, and, and all these different things and start worshiping different gods. And, and this is all the kingdom of Judah. And, and, and so Israel and Judah were so, um, it's funny because when you look up the idea of uh, the kings of Israel, they talk about minor kings to the point to where they didn't even, didn't even care to name them. Left no legacy, left nothing that really mattered. They were just minor kings. Uh, people claim to be religious, actually worshiped anything but Yahweh. This is a huge one that I saw people were looking to a person or a prophet to speak God's word to them instead of seeking him themselves. Huge parallel today. How many Christians do we know in Christian culture these days that come to church to hear the word of God from a pastor when everything that God is and everything that he's told us is perfectly able to be studied by every one of us? But we come looking to someone else. So we're, we're very much in danger of becoming that culture that Isaiah was speaking into. So we're going to dive into the text this morning. Pastor, I, I was kind of back and forth with Pastor Mark, and he said, Isaiah 6 is a great spot to preach to graduates out of. And I said, I agree. And there's, I've heard so many sermons on it that I was kind of praying. It's like, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say to, to our people at this time at, for CLF? And I'm going to warn you ahead of time. The things the Holy Spirit gave me, literally, even a week ago, there were like five different things that had nothing to do with each other. So as, as I'm going through some of this, you literally, yeah, I've got several water bottles in here. As I'm going through some of this, you may be going, where is he going with this? And I literally woke up one day and the Holy Spirit dropped a couple phrases into my mind that tied them all together. So be not afraid, it's going to tie together at the end. So I, I, so I, I don't want you to get too scared. Um, let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. I think we've got it up here. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to stop us a couple, a couple times as we go through here. In the year that King Uzziah died, who was the king in Judah, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. No, I don't have it? Sweet. So, so I didn't type it. So you got to follow along. So here's the idea. In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Here's Chris's translation that I want you to hear, okay? In the year that everything around me was falling to pieces... I fixed my perspective and saw God in his rightful place. That's kind of what Isaiah is saying here. Uzziah was a good king. And literally, it was, it was one of these that, that Isaiah is saying, when everything else is falling around me, my temptation was to look at the circumstances and to mourn everything around me. Do you know people around you who all they say is negative all the time? Their perspective is on the thing. Their perspective is on the circumstance. What Isaiah said is, I fixed my perspective like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and I looked to the peacemaker and saw him at the same place he had been when Uzziah was on the throne. He was on his throne taking care of everything. Okay, so let's keep going. 
Above him, above God, were seraphim, angels, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And a lot of us would go, ooh, that's cool. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, I want you to see, I don't believe anything in the Bible is just fluff. I think the words are put there. He just talked about the, the wonders of how wonderful the angels were. Now, what do you think Isaiah said? Wow, those angels are really cool. Notice where Isaiah's focus was. He says, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the wonderful angels. That's not what it says. For my eyes have seen the Lord God Almighty. Notice where his focus is. He's not distracted. He sees God in his place, in his time. Let's keep going. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Just one word, that's grace. He didn't earn that. That was completely grace. Verse 8 says this. If it's not highlighted or underlined in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. So here's the primary question I've got for you this morning. Why do more people not say, here I am, send me? That's, that's the question we're going to talk about this morning. Not, I, I didn't want to get caught up into the calling of God and how do I know this and how do I know that. Forget all. Here's my question. Why do, why do more people not say that? Why do more people not volunteer to go? This is perfect for graduates because they're literally going from one time into the next. And I would challenge you, if you're changing seasons, is it time for you to take a more active role in your spiritual life? Why do more people not say, here I am, send me? We're going to cover a lot of different ideas today, but here's one, one of the core things I want you to walk away with, is God wants you to team with him to make a difference in this world. God wants you to team with him to, take, to make a difference in the world. He doesn't just want to team with the religious leaders. He wants you. In fact, he's looking for volunteers among those who feel like they have the least to offer so he'll receive the glory. And you may wonder why I'm looking at my notes because I do not want to stray up on rabbit trails today, okay? Because this is going to be vitally important. Read this with me, and not along with me, but just read this. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says this, as each one has received a gift, minister it to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracle of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with, as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. So everything you do going forward is to glorify him. But God wants to team with us. And it's funny, originally I had the idea of God wants to team with us. And Laura said, no, that's not really true, is it? God wants us to team with him. His glory is going to be revealed in the world, Okay. He is sovereign above all. His glory will be revealed, but he wants us to team with him. How great of an opportunity we have that we get the opportunity to team with God going forward to make a change. He also calls us to do different things in different ways. He's not going to call every one of you to stand behind a pulpit and preach from up here. And some of you go, Phew. all right. Would you raise your hand if you have fear of speaking in public? It's probably 70% of people. Yeah, right? So please let me take that off of you. God's not, if, if everybody was, I mean, what is, and I don't, I don't have this in my notes, but what does the Bible say? If everybody was a hand, 
where would the feet be? If everybody was a nose, where would the ears be? God's going to call you to do something. There's something that, um, that's described as the hedgehog concept. Has anybody ever heard of what a hedgehog does? They're, they're, a fox or a lion may have different strategies of different things that it may do to run from an enemy. A hedgehog's got one. It rolls up into a boss, sticks out like thorns or like stickers. That's all it does. That is its main way of protection. That's, it's almost become known as the hedgehog concept, the one thing a hedgehog does. Well, here's the cool part. You've got one thing. And I'm not talking about a career path. I'm saying God's got something in mind for you. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. God's got something in mind for you that you're heading in a direction. And there's a hedgehog concept. And guess who defines that? Not your teachers, not your coaches, not even you. You discover it. God puts something deep inside of you. Like Laura and I have had to kind of figure this out over years. And if you were to ask me, Chris, what is your hedgehog concept? What is your purpose that you feel, I can, I can give it to you, man. And it has nothing to do with the career. It has to do with the purpose. It has to do with something deeper. So as God is teaming with us, it's, I'll just use this now because it fits. It's like God had a bow and an arrow, and you're the arrow, and the minute you were born, he released you. You know what we got to figure out? What direction am I heading? What's my target? What's my target? That's what I got to figure out. Now, I can choose to do this. But what's cool is because of grace, God can go, come on back. Come on back. But you know what we got to figure out? Is God's not calling me to be little Sean. God's not calling me to be little Pastor Mark. God's calling Jared to be Jared. But we got to figure out what that is. We've got to uncover the greatness, okay? Now, the way I see Scripture is kind of like the way I see Atlanta sometimes. There's a thousand ways to get to Atlanta. None of them wrong. If you get to Atlanta, you get to Atlanta. The Word of God says principles and truths, and, but the way it's described, a thousand different ways. Like I've heard so many different sermons on Isaiah 6. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come at it from a different angle, and I want you to see it from a different angle. Maybe this is coming into Atlanta from Southwest, and you go, I've never heard that before. So we're going to talk about spiritual welfare. Not spiritual warfare, spiritual welfare. And I'm going to give a couple of disclaimers real quick. First of all, when I talk about welfare, it is both from study and experience, okay? Laura and I, at different times in our life, we've had to utilize the welfare system for a time to get back on our feet. Literally, when I had knee surgery, was one to get back on our feet. So we're not going to politicize this this morning, okay? We're going to look at some facts about welfare. And in fact, we're going to kind of take it away from the governmental side. Let's just, let's look at it as charity in a sense. Does that make sense? Like, have you ever needed charity from someone that, hey, I can't earn it right now, but I just, I kind of need some help to get back on my feet. That's the idea of, in fact, welfare has two definitions, and it's kind of interesting. First of all is the state of well-being. They almost mean the exact opposite thing. It's kind of strange. Like your family's welfare, your family's well-being. It's like you want to protect your family's well-being. It's almost a, a state of being well. But the other idea is aid in, in, in the form of money or necessities for those in need. And that's just straight out of the dictionary. Uh, let's look at something else. Welfare as aid is meant to be seasonal. Again, we're not going to politicize this. Just the idea is we're going to help you out for a time period to help you get back on your feet. Chris, how are you going to bring the spiritual? It's not going to be me. It's going to be the Holy Spirit. Just wait. Welfare is meant to assist with needs, the essentials to keep us alive. It's not meant or viewed as a way to grow wealth or to thrive, right? 
Like that's not the purpose of welfare. It's to just help with the essentials, just help with the needs. Let's make sure that your needs are taken care of. And welfare is also a grace system. It's a grace system. A paycheck is earned. You don't go earn welfare, right? It's something that's given to you. Before we get too far, I need you to be thinking about two specific questions, and this is one of those other random things that we're gonna all bring together. I want you to be thinking about two specific questions that I'm gonna put up here on the board. First of all, what is your definition of success? Okay, now, you remember the arrow thing? Now, here, here's a problem. Let me break a cultural stereotype for a minute. And this is, this is almost frustrating, because I was talking to Laura about this, and she said, Chris, you're almost gonna have to give disclaimers that success is not talking about money or material possessions. It's frustrating to me that culture has defined the word success and totally screwed it up. Success is the target you're aiming at. In fact, the only definition the dictionary has is success is the accomplishment of an aim or a purpose. That's all it is. So would you agree that you have different definitions of success in every area of your life? Your definition of success in your marriage, I would hope, would be to have a close relationship where you have mutual trust, where you have mutual communication. Would that be success, right? We have success at our job. I hope you don't go into your job just to do the minimal, live in a minimalistic way. Hey, I'm just going to give my eight hours and just, that's not what we're called to do scripturally. It's another sermon for another time. But you want to have success in your spiritual walk. You want to have a deep relationship with Christ. You want to have success in your friendships. Does this make sense? So you got to figure out, if God released the bow, and if I'm the arrow, what, where am I heading? What is my definition of success? Because if we've got 80 people in the room, we're going to have 80 different answers. we got Caitlin going to, Mo- I can't remember the city. South Carolina? South Florida. I'm going out South Carolina. I know better than that. South Florida. We got one going to Birmingham. We've got some that are staying at school. We got some that graduated from Alabama. We've got some definition of successes across the board. But the second thing I want to ask you is by what methods will you chase down that success? And I, and I thought about Sydney this morning. It's like, cool, she's going to school for psychology. Is, was going to school, is that the apex? Is that the climax? Is that your success? Well, no, I want to graduate. Okay. Is graduation your success? No, I'd like to get a job. Okay. When you get a job, are you done? No, I'd like to help people. Okay. Is that like, does that make sense? We, we got to figure out where are we going and by what method. She's going to school. She's going to graduate, get a job so she can help families. But no matter what you do, please hear me on this. I don't care what you do or how you do it, but you've got to do everything you do for the glory of God and with everything you've got inside of you. Graduates, I don't care what your next step is. Your next step needs to be all you've got. You give your passion. You give your heart. You don't give the minimal. We're going to go back here in a second. Two scriptures, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, in word or deed, you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Any success in your life, any success, and I, I almost want to keep giving disclaimers and, subscript, and, uh, and uh, descriptions of different things because I don't want your mind to just go, well, Chris is on some random tangent. I want you to hear me on this. If you're going to reach success in your spiritual walk with Christ, if you're going to reach success in your sobriety, if you're going to reach success in your parenting, you have got to understand it's going to take work, it's going to take effort, it's going to take persistence, it's going to take time. You will not achieve success in anything by living only by what's given to you freely. Now let's bring this all together. 
The vast majority of Christians today are living on spiritual welfare. Here's the definition I've got. Spiritual welfare, wanting just enough of God to get rid of guilt, but not enough to cause any real change or discomfort. I want that to sink in for a second. Stamp my ticket to heaven and leave me alone, God. Welfare in the financial system is just take care of, my, of the necessities of life, and then I'm not... Now, again, just follow me here. I'm not, the point of welfare is not to help you thrive financially. You're not going to go buy a house for $100,000 with welfare checks, right? Most likely. That's meant to help you take care of your needs for a period of time so you can go from there. Spiritually, grace is... Please follow me here. Grace is the most important thing in the world for a new believer, but it can become a crutch to the existing believer who's chasing down success in their relationship with Christ. It's very easy for us, and again, this sermon is more for the idea, if you're new with your relationship with Christ, live on grace, breathe grace. And we still need grace if we've been in this a while, but the problem is sometimes we use grace as a crutch and go, I'm not going to put forth any effort because God's already taken care of my needs. Jehovah Jireh, you're perfectly fine to take care of my needs, but I'm not going to give you anything back. Is this making sense? I don't think that parents would want their kids to live a minimalistic life for the rest of all time where they don't give anything towards their success. Agreed? They don't want... I, I trust that you probably don't want your kids living on the minimals. Here's my challenge. I don't think God created us to live at the minimals of our relationship with him. Do you want to have a minimal relationship with your kids for the rest of all time? God doesn't either. He wants you to draw close. He wants you to go, here I am, send me. Why do more people not do that? Personally, from what the Holy Spirit gave me this morning, or gave me this week, I think the reason more people don't volunteer is because we're living on spiritual welfare as a mentality. Our mentality is this next slide, and this is a poem that's one of my favorites, kind of a poem, it doesn't rhyme, but I, I want you to follow me with this. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Why do more people not say, here I am, send me? Because this is, what, this is how we live. All I want is enough for God to take care of my guilt and to stamp me a trip to heaven. From there, I would just like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Here's what I'm going to tell you. When God offers himself to us in body, mind, and soul on a buffet, for us to walk up and take a piece of lettuce, what, how do you think that makes him feel? He's offered everything to us. He's given us everything. Would you agree that starting on Thursday when, Hallett, when these guys graduate, it's a blank slate for them? How many of us would like a blank slate being 18 or 19 years old again, right? Now, 
Hear me on this. Don't tune me out. Hear me on this. You have a blank slate starting today when you leave here. So many people think that the grace covered all of that stuff, but I still have to live in it. You may still have to live with consequences from bad choices, yours or other people's, but from this day forward, you're ch you have the choice. You have the choice whether to live a minimalistic welfare state spiritually or if you want to draw close to God and say, here I am, send me. First of all, my challenge to you is, do you see King Uzziah's death? Do you see the circumstances? We talked a couple weeks ago, are your circumstances right here where you can't see God, God's hand literally reaching right here? Hey, I'm here to help. You know what it reminds me of is the story of Peter. When he's walking on water, all of a sudden he realizes, oh my gosh, I'm walking on water. And he sees the storms and he starts to sink. You know, Peter almost should have died there. Luckily, he saw Jesus' hand, he changed his perspective, and saw Jesus welcome. What would have happened if Peter was so worried about the waves that he wouldn't have seen Jesus' hand? He would have drowned. Yet so many of us are living in a minimalistic lifestyle. I've got to move on. Go to the next slide here. Oh, that, that's good. Why don't we say, here I am? Because volunteering isn't needed to spiritually survive. Here's my challenge to you this morning. Are you spiritually surviving or do you want to spiritually thrive? Do you want a deeper relationship? And literally, guys, we can take this in every area of our lives. I have people tell me all the time, man, I wish I had the marriage you have. Are you willing to put forth the effort that we put into our marriage? Are you willing to read the books? Are you willing to have the conversations? Are you willing to do the things? So when you see somebody like a Bill Tornator who's struggled to get where he's at with God, are you willing to go through the struggle? Are you willing to get off of a mentality of spiritual welfare to where, God, I'm good with just $3? I'd like a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I don't really want everything you have for me. I'll just take a little lettuce leaf. My challenge this morning is what are you going to do with your blank state, with your blank slate that you've got ahead of you? So for the graduates, it's your entire life. For you, it's the rest of your life. You have a blank slate. What are you going to do with it? Volunteering isn't needed to spiritually survive, but volunteering is needed to spiritually thrive. If you want to have the best relationship, the abundant life, and again, cultures hijack that word where abundance means materialistic. Abundance means everything God wants for your life, but you've got to change your state of mind. Because if you think minimalistic, you're going to act minimalistic. Does that, does that, does that make sense? If you're thinking, God, you can only use me this much, then you're right. You're actually going to stop him from using you this much because you only think you're worth this much. He's the one who calls you holy, royal, chosen, and special, not you. Not your youth pastor. You were called that by God himself. We're going to bring one more thing into this because I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to go here. If your goal if you want to achieve your goal of a deep and fulfilling walk with your creator and make the most out of the next how many years of your life, then it's going to take work, change, discomfort, and some positive, intentional stress. Culture has hijacked the word stress as well. We think that stress is a bad thing. What about positive, intentional stress? We talked a second ago about how people are, uh, well, we'll talk about that in a second. I'm going to kind of finish up with a principle that can be used in every area of your life, but especially what we talk about this morning. Your success in 
fill in the blank, will be based on what you do and how you view comfort. This is a principle that was shown to me a couple years ago, and I'm going I'm to break it down. Actually, I had somebody ask me about it this week, so I thought, you know what? This ties perfectly in with the sermon, and it actually ties in perfectly with Seeger's spoken word. That's why I want him to kind of uh, go through this. So we're going to kind of go slide by slide. Go on to the next one. <clears throat> Comfort is kind of a baseline for people, and, and we're kind of going to take a look at this. Go to the next slide. If people fall out of comfort, they fall into distress. This is the negative type of stress, okay? This, this is where most people think, well, I'm stressed, I'm anxious. This is the idea of distress. Now, above stress, above comfort, is the idea of eustress. This is the positive stress, okay? This is, for those of you, go ahead and raise your hand again if you don't like, um, if you don't like speaking in front of people. Eustress is what is used when you're in a college classroom and they tell you you have to. Eustress is what, and this is actually the example that I heard, eustress is what made Michael Phelps get in the water again this last Olympics. The guy's got how many gold medals? Like, do you really, do you really need to get back in the pool? Eustress was positive, intentional stress that he put on himself, okay? Where is this going? Follow me. Next, if you don't get out of distress soon enough, anybody experienced rock bottom before? That's why this is perfect for this place for right now. Listen to me. We're just going to keep going. Next, after this, above you stress is your goal. Fill in the blank. That's success. When, when, when your arrow's been pulled back, where are you going? That is what happens when you put enough positive stress on yourself time after time. MSP, is there some stress on staying? Is there stress in staying? Yes, there's stress in staying. There's college students, is there stress in staying? There's stress, there, but it's your positive, intentional stress because you have something you're aiming for. First of all, here's my question. Do you even have a goal in your spiritual walk? Do you even have a goal in your spiritual walk? Or has Sunday just become a normal spiritual welfare thing that we do? Because I've been given grace, I'm going to go to church and check mark. Are you trying? I heard a question last night that was fantastic. It said, if I were to ask you right now, in what area are you trying to grow? If I were to ask you face to face, I'm not going to ask you, in what area are you trying to grow? Let me ask you spiritually. In what area are you trying to grow spiritually? How, where do you see yourself as weak that you need to grow in? What did Pastor Mark say last Sunday that you've worked on this week? Think, questions like that. That puts positive intentional stress. Watch this. And go to the next slide. Here's my main point of this. And this is going to tie all of this together this morning and that, that I want you to take away. And then we're going to open your envelopes in a second, okay? Here's my main point with this. Do you see comfort as a finish line, or do you see it as a launching pad? Chris, what do you mean? Go to the next slide. Here's how the vast majority of people live life. Their goal is comfort. Spiritually, relationally, in school, in work, financially, any area you put it, here's the goal. Comfort, and actually, it kind of it screwed up the lines in the PowerPoint, but basically that's going from comfort to distress. Comfort to distress. Comfort to rock bottom, back to comfort. What's the point? The point is if you fall out of comfort into stress, what's the goal? Let me just get up where I'm not stressed anymore. Then as soon as we're not stressed anymore, we stop. God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, he does. Comfort becomes the finish line. What about your relationship with your spouse? Is comfort the finish line? We're not fighting, we're happy. Is that the goal? Is the goal 
Comfort. We talked about a couple weeks ago, and I think everybody wrote it down, whether it was living recovery or here. Comfort is the disease of America today. The idea that comfort is the goal. We're just aiming for that. This is the spiritual welfare state. This idea is spiritual welfare. Just give me the minimal. As long as I'm not at rock bottom, please hear me if you're in recovery. Your goal is not to not hit rock bottom. Your goal is to thrive. Way too often in the recovery community, I'll hear mindsets, well, this week, I, di I, I, didn't, I didn't go back. That's not the goal. Yes, let's celebrate that you're still here. But would you agree that if we celebrate that you're still here, that you're still here, that you're still here, then that becomes the goal. That's not the goal. Please hear me. you got to have something beyond sobriety. you got to have something beyond just at church on Sunday. And if you're not in recovery, what's your goal? Is your goal just get me to Friday? As long as I'm comfortable on the weekends, then I'll be... Is that really the goal of our lives? Have we reached the finish line by being comfortable? For the graduates specifically, let me challenge you. The biggest thing that I see with young adults today is that comfort becomes their goal. I'm done with school, awesome. Now my goal is comfort. Fantastic. If you want to make that your goal, you're going to turn 40 years old and go, my gosh, what did I do with the last 20 years of my life? Fine, Chris, what's the other option? Let's go to the next slide. Here's the other option. By the way, go back real quick. I'm sorry. Where is our home here? Where do we spend the majority of our time? In between, dis usually distress. Does it make sense how if this is our lifestyle that we're going to spend more time, stress, and anxiety? When comfort is the goal, if, if, if Hallie graduates on Thursday and comfort becomes the goal for the next 10 years, she will live most of her life in distress. You got to have something to push for. You got to have intentional. So how does this tie spiritually? If you go home from church today, I feel better. I feel pacified. I feel at peace because I went to church. If that's your goal, I promise you before next Sunday, you'll be right back in distress. God does not call you to live in a minimalistic welfare state. He wants your relationship with him to thrive. If you've ever met my mom, would you raise your hand? My mom is the perfect example of the next slide. The next slide says comfort is to be used as a launching pad. Again, I had the lines lined up. It was my fault. The idea of here is using comfort as a baseline. It's a launching pad. Cool. I'm comfortable. I'm re-energized. Now let me put some positive, intentional stress on myself to get better, to chase a goal. What is my mom's goal? Obviously, it's to create a widow's ministry in every church in North America. She's chasing the goal. What happens? Positive, intentional stress, and then she gets tired. What happens? Comes back to comfort for a time, using it the correct way, doesn't see it as the finish line. What's the finish line? Finish line's the goal. What does the Apostle Paul say? I'm pressing towards the goal to comfort. It's not what he says. I'm pressing forward the goal. Can we imagine, does anybody see the Apostle Paul as a couch potato, binge watching Netflix? I, and, and again, if that's a thing, I, I just, you, you realize, just a side note, you realize the word binge is never good? Like ever? In anything? Anyways, side note. But the Apostle Paul was chasing something. He was putting positive eustress, positive stress on himself to chase a relationship with God, to spread the gospel everywhere he went. Because this is, this is the way that my mom's cycle goes. Comfort, just to, uh, pushing into eustress. 
And then because she's tired, her body's physically tired, she comes down and has comfort for a period of time. For what purpose? To re-energize, to strengthen. For what purpose? To go chase the goal again, to, to spread the word. And then what happens? Body gets tired. Why? Because she's chasing a goal. Comes back to comfort. And then what happens? Every now and then, boy, that sounds a lot better than every day in distress. Every now and then she falls into distress. But what happens? Because her, her I'm not a NASCAR fan, but here's the one thing I know about NASCAR. I know that when you're, when you're spinning out, you don't look at the wall. Because where you're looking is where you're going. How many of us are looking at rock bottom? So mysteriously, that's where we end up. Where are you looking? Are you looking for a deeper relationship with Christ? Or are you just looking, God, I'm, I'm so distressed. I just want to feel better. Oh, I feel better now. Let me go back to do what I want to do. What are you pushing for? Where is your arrow going? As a graduate, as an, I don't care where you're at. If this is your lifestyle, your normal life will not be in distress your normal life will be in purpose. Everybody can open up their envelope, and we'll go to the next slide, and we'll end this. Everybody's envelope says the same thing. I have that poem. I have that poem on it. I want $3 of God, and if you flip it around to the other side, it said, here I am, send me. Here, I had all these on cardstock. I lost the cardstock, so I apologize that it's on paper. If you want to hold on to this, I would challenge you to hold on to it and put it somewhere, because here's your choice. Graduates, Here's your choice. Your choice is, I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. I'm going to live a spiritual welfare, minimalistic lifestyle that is spent in distress, chasing comfort, or I'm going to chase his purposes for my life. I'm going to uncover the purposes that God put inside of me when I was born, and I'm going to spend the majority of my life using comfort as a launching pad, and I'm not going to live minimalistic. I'm going to volunteer and say, here I am, send me. couple quotes, and then we'll be done. I love how Jim Rome, he's not even a Christian speaker, but he has this idea, and I love it. The goal of this grand human adventure is productivity. Watch, pursuing the full development of all your potential. To see all that you can become with all you've been given. Here's the point I want you to leave with. Would you agree that one of the goals of your life would be to give God all the glory that you can? Like, if I've only got 60, 70 years on this earth, I want God to get all the glory he can. Then here's what, I'm, here's what I want to leave you with. If we live in a lifestyle of I'd like $3 worth of God, please, God's going to receive this much glory in our life, not this much glory. The on, the God can only receive the glory from our lives as much as we'll go shine his light, as much as we'll be the mirror as much as we will chase something down for him. But if we just say, God, I'd like $3 worth of you, then about the only person we're going to influence is the people in our inner, 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 inner circle. And hopefully we don't influence them to be like us. If I can be a little harsh. I want to influence the people around me to chase whatever it is so that God will receive as much glory as he can through their lives. So here's my challenge to graduates. Here's my challenge to all of us. You got a choice. You, it's your choice. I, parents, do you wish you could make some choices for your kids? Be great. I can't make choices for you. All that I can tell you is you've got one.